From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 357. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Pingdom, ExpressVPN, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm good. WWDC is done. We In did the it. In review. Yeah, we, did, we did it, everybody. We did it. We got through it. We, we did. did it. it was a big week. Huge week. I have a hashtag Snow Talk question. It comes from mm-hmm. a different Jason who asks, Okay. Do you plan to buy a Playdate, and have you seen the great sandwich video that they I used, do. They made? So Playdate is this uh, game uh, device from Panic, the mm-hmm. makers of great software that are making a hardware device. They announced it a couple of years ago. It, was it actually, has a crank. There, there was a prototype at WWDC when we were there in person, so that mm-hmm. was a while ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they announced that they're going to put it on sale in July for pre-order, and... Um, yeah, of course I'm going to buy one. It looks hilarious and great. And I think people have finally gotten it a little bit. I think it's sunk in. Like, there's so many people in the vein of like uh, gamers who look at something like a piece of gaming hardware that's in, like, has a black and white screen and a weird input thing. And they're like, why would you buy this? It's so dumb. But it's like, no, it's almost like a modern retro game platform. And the idea is like, it's a super high quality, clear, uh, high refresh rate, black and white screen and it's this little yellow handheld it's a great piece of of hardware and then they're doing this thing where when you buy it you get their first season of games auto delivered and it's like 20 games Mm -hmm. or something and and it has a crank it's it's uh and they've seated developer units and the people can do write their own software for it and like it's such a fun idea that i absolutely want to support it and i can't imagine that there won't be stuff on there that won't won't be great and i like the idea also of somebody making a game device that is not you know it's not trying to be anything like it's an indie game hardware device right like from people who understand the software side yeah Mm -hmm. it's casual simple yeah yeah it's adorable so so yes i i did laugh when they announced that they had created an accessory for it because they announced this thing like several years ago now and haven't shipped it and they're, they're announcing accessories for it, I, which I find, like, I get it. And, mm-hmm. and yet on another level, I'm thinking to myself, come on, you should ship the product first. But uh, there it is. They made a, there's like a Bluetooth speaker charging whatever. It looks super cool with a pen holder. And a pen. With a pen holder and a little yellow pen. Mm-hmm. Pre-order in July. They're shipping them this yeah. year. I am incredibly hyped for this thing. I have yeah. been looking forward to it since they first announced it. And it only appeals to me more and more as time goes on, so... I'm mega hyped about Playdate. Yeah, it looks it looks really adorable and fun. And again, if you just, I mean, it's not going to make you stop playing on PS5, right? Or your iPhone. It's not. It's it's not. No. And it's not what it's for, but it is. it looks like it's going to be a great piece of hardware mm-hmm. and have a bunch of fun things on it. And like, that's fine. Like the world, I like the idea that the world is wide enough for, see, that was a reference, for, um, Xboxes and PlayStations and iPhone games and Playdate, right? I like that, that, and it is like all these things can exist and they're all game consoles sort of, but they're all different and that's great. Good for that. Good for them. Love it. If you'd like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the RelayFM members discord. Spatial audio is in Apple Music. It started rolling mm-hmm. out sometime after the keynote last week. 
Um, and songs are being added and albums are being added and they continue to be slowly adding more and more content to the yeah. service in Spatial Audio, Dolby Atmos. What has your impression been so far? I mean, it's fun. I, I wrote a while ago about how I have a handful of 5.1 mix, so multi-channel mix uh, DVDs from the first time or maybe not the first time from one of the more recent times that the, that the music industry has tried to push this technology where I can put it in a DVD player and listen to it on my home theater. And it sounds great because like the, the, all the sound is isolated. It's coming from all these different speakers. It's really amazing. And so I've been a believer in multi-channel audio as this high quality thing uh, that is, is for a sitting, sitting down listening experience where you're sort of in the middle of the music and you've got speakers all around you. And uh, I tried that with Apple TV using spatial audio, the Dolby Atmos stuff on Apple Music. And uh, when it works, it works well. I'm going to back up. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work. Apple has some problems. Uh, it's, yeah. This rollout is a mess. Uh, what I found is if you added a song to your library, especially if it was added via iTunes Match, what happens is the version that you added is overlaid and the um, Dolby Atmos version is there underneath and it won't it won't come out. It won't play. because So anything that I already had in my library from a particular album that was in Apple's mm. own spatial audio playlist, it wouldn't play it in spatial audio. It wouldn't play it in Dolby Atmos. I've had sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I've had an alert that's like, hey, do you, you need to delete this and then add it again? But that isn't always working. But so there's two things works. going on here. There, there's the, is it a download? Mm. And if you download a stereo file and then they make it a spatial audio file, it's going to play what's downloaded on your device. So you have to remove it. And that's not great, but there is an alert for that. But something else is happening here, which is this other thing, which is it exists. So I have Weezer or like there's like Counting Crows first album. There are two songs from that that are on Apple's rock spatial playlist. And it's like I bought that album. They're, they're a band from Berkeley. I bought that album in grad school in Berkeley when it was a hit, like it uh, very memorable to me. So it's, I have that CD. It got ripped. It got iTunes matched. It's in my Apple Music library. And those tracks don't play in Dolby Atmos. In Apple's own spatial audio playlist, they don't play in Dolby Atmos. And what I found out is if I went to the Greatest Hits album, which I didn't buy, and I play those songs there, they're in Dolby Atmos. And this goes for lots of other albums that I, uh, that I own, Generally, it's things that I ha I ripped on CD, although not entirely, and and so it's just a bug I think in Apple Music where Apple is not saying, okay, you've got that, but you're in this position to listen to spatial audio, so I'm going to get you the spatial audio, or I'm going to ask you, do you want to replace this track with a with a library track that includes the spatial audio? It's a mess. That said, for the stuff that I could play multi-channel on my Apple TV in my home theater. Some of it is really good. And this I think this is the truth about all this multi-channel audio. Some of it is really good, and I think some of it is is either pointless or bad. And like some songs, and honestly, I think it's some songs, some styles of music really open up when you've got the background vocals coming from behind you and the instruments from the side and the there's more isolation of the lead vocal in the front like or if you're listening to like a symphony or you're listening to jazz where you've got this whole soundscape there are some kinds of of uh 
styles of music where the point is to just be kind of compressed and noisy. <laughs> and Weezer is going to be the example I, I, I give. The first Weezer album, which I love dearly. I love those first couple Weezer albums. But they are of a, a 90s, grungy, compressed, rocky style. It, it, it is of an era. And it's, it's loud and compressed. And they, the, the multi-channel mixes of the, those Weezer songs, I think, sound terrible. Because all, it's like everything that that song was, like Buddy Holly, let's say, just gets diluted until there's nothing there. Because they, they spread it out. And it's like, well, no, the point is not to spread it out. The point is to compress it into a big ball of noise. So I guess, I mean, unsurprisingly, I would say... Dolby Atmos music can be good or bad, just like fonts yeah. can be good or bad, or like literally anything could be good or bad. And some of it is really good. And that was all in my multi-channel. The experience in AirPods, and I don't know, I assume you tested this as well. The experience in AirPods is different, right? Because it's only two speakers. They're on your ears. And so what what's, it's doing is it's taking the multi-channel mixes and it's mixing it down in a particular way with a set of effects to give you a, a, a spatial feel from those two speakers that are attached to your ears. And that's a very different kind of thing. Yep. And I, I think the same, for me, the same thing applies, which is some of it sounds really nice and some of it sounds kind of pointless. And I can't tell how much of that is because these are fancy remixed multi-channel kind of things being processed on the fly versus something that was stereo mixed years or decades ago uh or whether it's the magic of dolby atmos that i can't say but some stuff does sound better and some stuff doesn't i think i've had a better experience like my personal experience has been better i haven't found anything that i thought sounded bad i have only listened with airpods and airpods pro and airpods max um, and what I have found is it either sounds really, really good or it just sounds like fine. You yeah. know? Um, but I will say, though, personally, I really do like this feature a lot and I can't wait for more of my favorite music mm -hmm. to get this stuff because it, to me, it, what it does is it either does nothing to the experience or significantly elevates the experience for the stuff that I've been listening to. Um, so I'm, I'm really into it. And I, I think... The key, really, I think, with a lot of it is, was this music intended to be recorded this way or not? And I think right. the the better experiences I've had is with the more modern stuff. Um, and, and so maybe that's going to be one of the key differentiators yeah. going forward, but I'm not sure. Well, I think some of it, too, is what was the, what was the remix, purpose of the remix. Yep. So, like, when Giles Martin remixed the, all of those Beatles albums... Um, like Abbey Road and the White Album, like there was a multi-channel mix made purposefully. And, and and so is it is the White Album is Abbey Road recent? It's not, but the the multi-channel remaster was recent using all of the original stuff. But that's such a rarity, right? You do occasionally get this. The Abbey Road spatial audio is really good. Like come together is sounds fantastic. Yeah. And so. and I mean you've got literally the son of the producer of that record yep. with all the might of the money of the Beatles putting mm -hmm. this super high quality remaster together. That generally is not going to happen, but those examples are going to are going to sparkle. And yeah, I think the Honestly, people are talking about like lossless and, and, and I don't begrudge people who really are into lossless uh, high quality audio like 
I, I accept that there's some percentage, small percentage of the population that for whom that will matter and that they mm-hmm. can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. But this multi-channel stuff, um, whether the spatial part of it is a gimmick or not, and I think that it can be, but I think it also makes it sound better. I think that's the bigger issue is what you're doing is you're getting remixing with a sound field in mind and with multiple channels of audio that are then being processed by, in Apple's case, by Apple's own headphones to give you the best experience that they think that they can give you. Mm-hmm. I, I think all that effort means it probably sounds better. It's not necessarily any particular part of the technology that's causing the betterness there, but I think it's the care and the, and the fact that uh, there's more thought being given to the way that this stuff is being received. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a really complex topic and I don't think there's a way to say it's great or it's pointless. And I've seen lots of people say both of those things. But I do think that the net result is what you said, which is uh, some stuff sounds uh, really nice. And I think it also prompts a lot of us to stop and, and give more attentive listening to our music. And that's always nice when you aren't just uh, most of my music listening is in the background while I'm mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. And that's not attentive music listening. And it was delightful to sit Lauren and I sat in our living room on our couch with our 5.1 audio system around us, and we sampled stuff from those Apple Spatial playlists. And some of it was better than others of it, but like there were some just fantastic moments in there. Listening to When Doves Cry by Prince, I felt like I was inside, I don't know, inside Prince's house somewhere, right? I was, in, I was at Paisley Park. Like it was such a hilarious and delightful experience to have that song, which is a very weird sounding song to begin with. I love that song, but it's a very peculiar song uh, all around us. That was great. And we listened to what Tom Sawyer by Rush, which has all these, you know, I'm all these synths and, and this drum solo that flies around the room. And it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to listen mm-hmm. to that stuff. And I, I enjoyed having a more active listening experience uh, too. So, you know, I think it's good to have people maybe appreciate the music more, but I think in the long run, I'm much more interested in how the spatial stuff uh, works and what stuff I love maybe gets a, a remaster that makes it sound better as part of this. But Apple's also got a lot of bugs they got to fix. All right, a couple of pieces of follow-up. Photos does indeed have a feature to ask for certain people, places, holidays, or dates to be featured less often or not at all mm. in the app and widgets. This is something that I was hoping for, and I still remain surprised that Apple didn't mention this during the keynote. I, I know it's more of a downer option, potentially, but I think it's still an important one, especially because they really have added a lot of functionality here. So if you go into a memory or an image, you can select feature less, in either in the options, it's going to be long pressing, or on the iPad, you get the three little dots that you can click. Um and it will say like you know do you want what do you want to feature less of and you get a big option you know like i had this one memory um that i tried it on and it gave me like 10 people who i could choose to see less of because they were recognized in that album right right um, they're giving you all the information that yep. that might represent it and letting you choose what is it about this that you don't want to see right because you can't you can't just fire off a like don't show me less of this photo because there's so much in that photo what is it about this photo that you don't want to see? And then you get to say so. That's it's a really it's good. I'm glad they did that. 
And it's actually, uh, David in the Discord's made a good point. More of a downer than, like, the digital legacy stuff, which is true. Because, <laughs> like, when they're talking about iCloud, like, when you die, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I think they should have featured this, honestly. I think it's an important thing to show that we still have control <laughs> over the machine, uh, rather than the machine just choosing to show whatever it wants to show. So thank you to everybody that sent me in uh, that, and, and I've played around with it, and it was really cool. Uh, many people found that there were tags for M1X and M1X MacBook Pro in the metadata of the WWC video that was uploaded to mm-hmm. YouTube by Apple. Are they trolling us? I don't or... know. <laughs> you would think not. My my guess is that this is real, mm-hmm. and that somebody beforehand had been you know tasked with doing all the tags based on what the contents of the keynote were at some point, and that nobody revisited it. Right, which again. You'd say, oh, well, how could that be? Apple is such a big company. How many times have we seen Apple make mistakes about the content and have leaked things in advance? Do you remember the iPhone 7 (laughs) where they published a bunch of Twitter ads that showed off the entire phone? I think it was the 7 before the event even began. And remember when when they, they found parked i think this was gi rambo found parked at the exact same url pattern they'd used at the previous event image marketing images of yep. the iphone yes days before yeah so this stuff happened this is my this is my point is that as big a company as apple is i mean it's also a big company and that these things fall through the cracks and that it is absolutely likely that there was just an organizational thing where the people tasked to do the youtube keywords the i don't know seo um, experts at Apple, whatever they are in the marketing department, were given a script and they crafted the the tags and maybe they put them in YouTube or maybe they were in a top secret Apple document and then stuff got pulled out of the keynote and that document didn't get updated. I think that's the actually the easiest answer is not yes. Apple thought that they would make uh would have a laugh by mentioning no. products they're probably going to release and giving them names and putting them in the YouTube thing to see if people notice like no, that's, that's not very Apple. I don't, I don't think that that's the case at all. It is more Apple likely doing jokey just tags. Up. Yes, these are not jokey tags. No. Like M1X MacBook Pro is not a joke tag. That is a real don't joke about that, right? It's also not a joke when the keynote doesn't include that product. Yeah. So right. I think the most likely scenario is, uh, and also the show was, uh, for those who care about the over and under like we do, yep. it was short of two hours, right? It could yep. have been a full two hours and it wasn't. And and I think that there's a moment where I think Craig says something about like, but more on that later, or we got more later. And I thought, I think he's nodding to the fact that they're going to announce Max. And, and maybe he wasn't, but it felt to me like that could have had meaning that it ends up not having. So I think it's entirely possible that they... Um, most likely scenario is they they were hoping to get uh, pro laptops in the, in the event, and due to production reasons, probably related to those legacy nodes, right? The stuff that Apple can't get enough of to put in their products mm-hmm. that's going to cause reduced ability to fulfill demand, which they talked about in their quarterly analyst call, right? This idea that that it's going to hit the Mac and the iPad where there's like stuff that they can't buy that they don't control. That's like in every product and they need one and they can't get it. Um, and that meant that they were like, look, if we announce it now, we can't, we can't ship it in enough volume for whatever they, and they probably have an ideal range, right? They probably say, look, when we announce something, we need to open orders for it within two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. And then it's got to ship within 
this window. And if it can't ship within this window, we should not announce it because people are going to forget about it and or we're not going to be able to fulfill and it's going to frustrate people. Because I think yeah. Apple wants Apple. You know, it's great to be sold out of a product. But unlike uh, the makers of consoles and stuff, like Apple wants to sell you, sell everybody who wants the hot new thing from Apple, Apple wants to sell it to them as yep. quickly as possible. And if they can't make enough, they'll just wait. So just as an overall, I think there was a bit of a, um, a spectrum last week that we occupied of our positive, negative feelings towards the keynote. I think in general, uh-huh. I was much more positive than you. Yep. Now that the entire WWDC is over, have your positive negative feelings changed or During our podcast last week, my thoughts about the iPad became more positive. Right. Um, I have some frustration about them still not doing enough to kind of embrace the power of the M1, um, especially like the external screen support and stuff like that. But I... First off, I, I I really still do believe that what we saw with the multitasking changes was not a, you know, rearranging deck chairs kind of thing of like, let's try it again, and was much more of a um, rethink of how they handle windowing, essentially, mm-hmm. on iPad with an eye toward what they're going to do next, right? It feels like step one of a longer process that will probably include putting things on external displays, especially since you've got that little three-dot thing at the top that is not just a, a a button you can tap to get those icons, but it's literally a draggable. It's a handle for those windows. And it's an active window indicator as well. Yeah. It's doing a lot of work. feels like that that would be a useful thing if you were in a multi-window state as well, right? To drag windows around yep. and to send them places. Like, it feels very much to me like, I mean, okay, I want to believe, right? It is yep, definitely, yep, there's yep, a conspiracy yep. part of this. But I really do believe that nothing, <laughs> nothing they, they announced dissuaded me from the idea. And in fact, it persuaded me that this is where they're going, that that they are thinking big about what they're going to do with iPad uh, multitasking and windowing in the future, but they need to get their house in order first. And what's disappointing to me is that they only took this first step and they didn't take the second step. But I feel like they're right on the precipice, that they could literally hold this for a year or two, or they could announce like an external display and say, yeah, and it works with the iPad and look what we, and look what we did. You can run apps and windows on the iPad and release an OS update. Like I I think they could do that as soon as they wanted to after this version of the OS ships in the fall, next spring, whenever, or they could just hold off another year or two, which is frustrating. Um, And then I wrote a piece for, uh, for six colors, not for Macworld, although it felt like a Macworld article kind of, uh, <laughs> after, you know, it was the right length. Yeah. You know, I, I could have submitted to Macworld and they would have paid me, but I, 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 I didn't do that. Uh, it was Monday night. And it was basically my overall warm feeling about the fact that this felt like the event where Apple finally put together what they've been trying to do for five years now, which is align all their platforms so that they don't announce features on the iPhone and they don't come to the Mac, or they come half-formed to the Mac, or they show up on the Mac two years later. Uh, but instead, like, they literally could have gone to the Mac section of the, of, the, uh, of the show had they not held some stuff back. They literally could have gotten to the Mac section and said, we already announced it all. It's all that stuff we already said. It's also on the Mac. Mm-hmm. We already told you it was on the Mac. It's on the Mac. 
that's it. Stop saying Mac, right? Like that, that it's all, remember, like we always have things that are like, well, it's not here. It's not there. It's not there. And this year it no. just felt like everything is everywhere. Now that was great. I, I, it was, that was super encouraging uh, that it really did feel like more than many years it has been now where Apple will introduce a feature and we just naturally assume we'll wait for it somewhere else. And I think right. you mentioned it in that piece. What's like the catch? Live text is a perfect example of it, right? Live text. Live text, I could imagine they said was just on the iPhone, right? You know, like right. You, could, you know, but it's iPhone, iPad, and Mac. Mostly. The FaceTime we'll stuff, right? The FaceTime mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. I absolutely, Apple of two, three years ago, the FaceTime stuff rolls out on, on its iPhone, iPad only. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're like, no, it's on the Mac too. It's it's everywhere. Because it's because they've got, they, they aligned all the subsystems that had drifted away uh, over the years between macOS and iOS. They got all of them to work together. As part of the Apple Silicon transition, they had to do this part. They got the, they did the whole Catalyst thing. They got yep. the Swift UI thing. They have been building all of these tools in lockstep, not just for third-party developers, but for Apple. So that Apple doesn't have to build, when they announce an app or a feature of their operating system, they don't have to build it two or three times, right? That was what they had to do. I mean, from a user's perspective, it's like, hey, why are you not giving me this feature on the Mac? From Apple's perspective, it's like, guys, I can't build this app three times, right? And now they don't have to. They build it one time and and deploy it everywhere. Even shortcuts on the Mac, which seems like, well, it's finally come to the Mac. But if you look at it, it's a new version of shortcuts that's done in Swift UI with some other stuff, other sprinkles. Um, but like that new interface is also on the iPad and the iPhone. Yeah. Like it, it, it's across all their platforms because they're not going to have like, well, the Mac version of shortcuts looks a little different. No, it's it's not, it's not different. It's the same across. And that is, that's good. That's good for Mac users and it's good for people who use the iPad and it's good for people who use both. So that to me, that is the most positive thing. And that's why I think so positively about this. Also, I think that they didn't do anything that felt overreaching this year where it was like, you know, slow down guys. <laughs> like it's too much. It's too much. This We've had several years of very dramatic operating system announcements where it's, where it's new chip architectures and, you know, whole new way of doing user interfaces and whole new way of bringing your apps from one of our platforms to the other. And maybe it's COVID that's, that's helping them kind of play within themselves. But it, I I also find it encouraging that I, it, this doesn't seem like a release cycle where Apple is um, overshooting and is going to make everybody miserable by trying to mu- to do too much too soon. During these busy weeks, we do uh, skip upstream mostly, and there is some stuff that I want to talk about probably next week. Even some teasers that Apple have oh, put yeah. out, but there was just one that I wanted to direct people to today, which was the teaser for the Morning Show season two. Uh, so they published this this morning. It looks very good. It looks very dramatic. Um, yeah. I was expecting more COVID in it than what the hmm. teaser seemed to show. Like that was, you know, the reports where they were kind of going to add that in. And maybe it's just not in here, right? Like, but it, it might be a part of the story in the way that the fires were a part of the story last time. There's a shot of Jennifer Aniston in Times Square and there's a 2020 yeah, I saw that. And I'm unclear whether that's maybe New Year's Eve 2020 where they're going to start this thing and have it be pre-COVID or whether it's 2021 and she's in an empty Times Square and it's during COVID. I don't know. What what struck me about it is we talked about the morning show when it came out that uh, 
they thought it would be one show and then it turned into something else uh given like mm-hmm. current events they it turned into something else and what struck me about this trailer or teaser is they're going with that right like mm-hmm. this this season I looked at it and I thought this is not what they thought this show was going to be no like at all mm-hmm. they they have had the uh smart I think they made the smart move of saying well, wait a second. <laughs> what story? What is this show? What story should we tell about this show? And it seems like a way more dynamic kind of story that they want to tell than what all of us anticipated and what I think the show initially was conceived of being, yep. which was sort of trials and tribulations of people working on the set of a network news show. And now it's more like people at a network news show have incredibly traumatic events happen to them that causes all of this drama in the in the business and in their personal lives and in the world and it's all kind of like caught up together and that that's a much more interesting show to me so yeah it looks interesting september 17th is when it comes back which is also sooner than i expected i didn't think we were going to get it this year but i'm i'm looking forward to it apple's gonna have a lot of stuff for people to start finally paying for apple tv plus that's true (laughs) i still don't know if i'm paying for it you're too late i have no idea (laughs) i don't know This episode is brought to you by FitBod, the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan that actually fits you. When it comes to fitness, FitBod believes that everyone can be better. Whether you're working out three days a week or twice a day, FitBod's algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your previous workouts so that your next workout is scientifically proven to be better than your last. FitBod has been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers to bring the best practices of strength training to you. Your workout program is tailored exactly to suit your needs, making it perfectly for you, making it perfectly suited for your unique body, experience, environment, and goals. Look, it can be hard to know exactly how much you should be doing while you're exercising. So FitBod will take care of that for you so you don't have to worry about under or overtraining. And it's also going to mix up muscle groups and exercises and sets and reps and weight over time to help keep you on top form, to help you work on the places that you should be. And again, not overwork in the places that you shouldn't. FitBod makes sure that you're on a path that's right for you while also helping you take steps towards becoming a better version of yourself. If you're working out at home, FitBod has a bunch of bodyweight-only workouts. They're great for indoors or outdoors. If you have access to a gym or equipment, they have tons of options there too. Basically, whatever type of exercise you want to do, FitBod has got it. Whatever routine, whatever uh, frequency, it's all there for you. And it's really easy to program all this stuff into the app and tell it what you're looking for. And it'll make those recommendations. And then when you actually get to do the exercises, there's detailed descriptions and videos of personal trainers doing this stuff for you, like professional trainers, so you can see how it should be done. And I really value that just so I can make sure I'm doing the right thing. FitBod is available on iOS and Android, and you can get started right now. Just go to fitbod.me slash upgrade, and you'll get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade to try it out for free and get 25% off your FitBod membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, it, obviously, the week after WWDC is a bit of a uh, follow-up heavy episode. What's happening? And so I, I have like, we have a lot of stuff just to go through. Mm. And then we're going to talk bigger picture about some of the experiences that we've had with some of the stuff that Apple's released. So right. now, we'll, keep in mind that Upgrade last week, for those who listened during the week as a podcast, you know, you, you listen whenever. Mm-hmm. 
we recorded it immediately following the keynote. Yeah. So, um, yeah, lots has happened since then, right? Like we didn't, it didn't really sink in and, mm-hmm. and we only knew what we had been told by Apple and then we've had a whole week of sessions and all sorts of other stuff. So, so it's, it's good for us to revisit some of this because we you know we couldn't also it was only like it was a long podcast but still it's only a couple hours there's a lot that we learned yeah so much of this stuff came out days after anyway yeah because it it needs people to go through and find all these little details so i wanted to like uh book like bookend this with our previous discussion of talking about the operating systems coming together I think we can kind of see why, because there is a selection of macOS Monterey features that are only available on Apple Silicon Macs. So the following features are not available on Intel Macs. Right. Portrait mode in FaceTime, so this is like the background blurring. Right. Live text. Mm-hmm. Interactive 3D globe in Apple Maps. <laughs> I don't understand that one, honestly. Uh, text-to-speech in a variety of language and on-device and unlimited dictation. So I think a lot of these you can see require the neural engine. Yeah, I don't understand why the 3D globe is in there, but honestly, yeah. like I don't. They, that one is like one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> my my guess is that some of this stuff is well, we could implement it on certain Intel Macs, and and they just were like, forget it, we're not gonna right. Like there's not enough here, or or they're using some particular thing that's only really available in Apple Silicon. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the story is, but this is going to happen. Like, this is nothing kind of major, but like, if you're on an Intel Mac, Apple is not developing for Intel Macs anymore. Not They'll keep their compatibility because they're good about that, but so much of this stuff... What I said before about how great it is that Apple can move its platforms in lockstep, part of that is that they've got the same chip platform now. Yeah. And some of that stuff they're going to implement they're going to be like how do we implement this and they're going to implement it in a way that only really works with the attributes of Apple's own processors and they're not going to make the effort to do a Again, remember what I said about we only want to write one app? Like if if you're like, "Oh, well, on the Mac for Intel we're going to have to write this thing." Nope, we're not, not going to do, do that. Yeah. Like that's that's just going to be how it is. But yeah, some of this stuff is neural engine you know, based where they're using machine learning to do various effects. And I don't know about the 3D globe either. Like something about the implementation, they're like, no, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to even try to do this on, on Intel systems. Although I did love, there was a, a news report about this story that said, um, it was the Mac rumor story. It, it basically said, uh, it's unclear why this is the case since Google earth shows a globe on the Mac. And I'm like, well, I don't think Apple's saying that globes can only be done in Apple Silicon. <laughs> like, but it is a that's... weird one, though. It is weird. <laughs> Why? Why the globe? I, I need I know. to know. If someone out there knows, you don't have to... You, know, you can send me this anonymously. I just want to know. What uh, about this 3D globe needs Apple Silicon? I don't are understand. You gonna, are you going to be a globe leaker now? Is that I, what you're I will be? be if if I'm allowed to be. I'm just I'm fascinated to know because everything else it seems so obvious, right? That it makes it more is, sense. Right? It needs severe machine learning stuff, and I don't I don't know. Maybe a interactive 3D globe needs that too. Who knows? We know for a fact. Don't stop lying to us, Apple. We know for a fact that you can do a globe on the Mac on, on in Intel. What are you hiding Intel in Mac the globe? globes. What's what in the globe? <laughs> the time picking wheels are back of iOS 15. So. Prior to iOS 14, if you wanted to add a time to something, you'd get these huge wheels that you could spin around like a slot machine or whatever. 
With iOS 14, they added this new method where the date picker was a large calendar, and then you would basically you would type in the time. There were these kind of hidden wheels. There is now a hybrid approach. So the date picker still exists. So when you pick a date, it brings up that calendar and you pick the date. But the wheels, so like going back to those old spinny wheels, are the yeah. default, especially on iPhone, but you can tap the numbers to bring up a keypad. So you can spin them, but if you tap, it will bring up a keypad and you can type yeah. the time in. Now, But on the iPad, this is really interesting. If you are using your finger and you tap the time, you get the wheel UI. If you are using the magic trackpad and you tap it, you just type. Uh. So... It's being contextually aware of what you're doing, and I think that's really cool. Um, I stand by the fact that I prefer the typing in, and I'm happy that I still have that option, but I know a lot of people missed the spinny wheels. But I'm just happy that they aren't bringing those wheels back to places where they're not wanted, which would be uh, on the Mac with Catalyst and on the iPad with a keyboard and mouse or keyboard and trackpad. So thumbs up for the contextual awareness there. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. That's that's what Apple needs to do, right? With the iPad especially, is what context are you in? Are you using the pencil? Are you using your finger? Are you using a trackpad? And adapt accordingly. That's mm-hmm. that's what they... I know that sounds like a lot of hard work, and it is a lot of hard work, but it's also what Apple signed up for with the iPad. Yep. That's the purpose. That's the whole point of the iPad. The Photos app now shows EXIF data and lets you change the date and time of a photo. So Yeah, it yeah. does. What does Exif data show you, Jason? Like, what is this? How is this beneficial to people? All of that information about, like, what's the resolution of the image and what's its size and what format is it in and, like, what what was the f-stop and what was the ISO and all this kind of information that's been on the Mac version of Photos for a long time. And that same panel now appears on the iPad and I guess iPhone versions of it. So you finally have access to that stuff on the other side. This is a case where because it was originally iPhoto, the Photos version on the Mac has always been more. I mean, they, there are there have been features that have been available on both uh, and there have been features that have been on one or the other, but there were like way more power features on the Mac side. Um, however, I will point out you still can't add keywords on the mm-hmm. iOS side, which I think is kind of maddening. You can do a caption, but you can't actually like add keywords and stuff. So it's not 100% parity with the Mac side yet, but it's that info panel is way better. Jason, why would you need to add keywords? Surely machine learning give you all you need. Well, I don't know, Mike. When I search for dogs <laughs> on uh, on photos, I get cows and cats. So. Come on. And dogs. Oh. I also get dogs, but I also cows get cows and, and cats. Uh, Photos also now will tell you which app you saved an image from. So if you saved an image from Safari or something, it will pop up and say this came from Safari. Smart. Useful to have. I imagine that's probably tied into the whole messages thing too, where photos from messages are going to drift into your photo library. So it needs to tell you where they came from. I'm very dubious about that feature still. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to see how it works in practice. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think it's even wired up yet in the betas, but I don't know. It's early yet. On the iPad, widgets do not show the name of the widget underneath them. This is unknown right now if it's a bug, where it's a bug, or not. <laughs> right? Like, is it a bug on the iPad that it doesn't show them? Is it a bug on the iPhone that it does? No idea. But as of right now, there are no titles of what a widget is underneath a widget. Um, 
I know from underscore Widgetsmith that uh, this is one of hmm. his very f- biggest feature requests, which obviously he can't deal with, is people want the widget name removed. They don't want to see it. So I think it would be good if Apple doubled down and did this everywhere. But it's uns- we're going to have to wait and see how this shakes out over the beta process. Potentially, we could be seeing beta 2 in the next couple of days. Sometimes they do it fast. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks. Because sometimes they lock that developer beta at some point yep. uh, before the event, so they've got something to release on the day that they feel confident will not destroy everybody's data. <laughs> and then meanwhile, in the background, they're working on whatever the next release is. And and then they'll do a public release, too. So sometimes it's the second or maybe it's the third sometimes, but they'll 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 do that, too, where then they'll eventually... Yeah, they set July. Yeah, okay. For the public. But what they do... But so So maybe there's one or two, and then they get one that they do as a developer beta, and it looks okay, and then that one ends up becoming the public beta. I found well. We'll talk about it later, but uh-huh. I think the betas are pretty good already. I think yeah, that, I think that I have not had a horror show with any of the betas no. yet. It, there's time. There's time for really bad beta releases, but but the developer beta ones are okay. Passes in the wallet app are now automatically archived and stored in the archives, so you don't have to delete them or have a wallet full of old tickets and passes to things. Uh, I consider this yep. a bit of a bummer because I deleted stuff I wished I wouldn't have had to delete. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they realized, um, like I still have my ticket from the 2014 world series game five in my wallet. Cause it's a memory and it's great. Yep. And they realized people do save stuff like that. So, so now they're, there already was some sort of an expiration thing. There's a date range where it's active and an expiration date. And you can put that metadata in wallet items and then by default, it just doesn't, if it's not something that is uh, in the present or future, it just hides it. And yep. you can tap to show that stuff at the bottom. I've got my, all my Apple event invites in there too. Yeah. It's I have fun. stuff like old live shows that we've done. I have tickets there, you know, things like that. I really wished that I still had, but I don't mm-hmm. because it was getting too full. Or like, you know, the flight uh, info from my honeymoon and stuff like that. I wish I still had yeah. those things, but right. I don't so, because I got rid of them. Now you'll be able to, they'll still be available um but hidden away yeah spatialize stereo is a feature in control center under the volume (laughs) which allows you to simulate spatial audio for non-dolby atmos content i find this very weird and i've listened to some podcasts in with it on and it's very strange and i'm not really sure why this feature exists (laughs) uh it is a thing. So my receivers in my home theater have for a long time now had this feature, which is like try to spatialize something that's only got to, it processes the stereo and it tries to create a sound field. And, you know, it can be done, but it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird. So I don't hide to everybody who's listening to us in virtual spatial audio. Or I'm something. over here. Uh, now I'm over here. No, I didn't no, move anywhere. You didn't go anywhere. The control center option for text size. So it's been in there for a while, like the dynamic type selector. Now lets you control the size of text for individual applications as well as the whole system. So if you have the calendar app open and you go to control center and you go to the text size, you can adjust and save a text size that is custom for that app, not just the whole mm. system. This is fantastic because I give that exact example. I have my uh, text size down pretty low on my devices, 
which is fine for me in most apps. But if I open like Apple's calendar app, I can't read anything. So (laughs) I was able to bump up the text size today on my iPad and it's much clearer. So I think this is fantastic because dynamic type is awesome, but some apps interpret dynamic type and it makes their app type too small. And now you can still use dynamic type and your users can change the size arbitrarily on their own. I think it's fantastic. Love it. It's great. Talking about text, the magnifying glass for text selection is back and it has a new design, which is interesting. It kind of looks more like a portal into like another dimension. It's very weird. Like I was in notes and I was selecting text and the way it kind of shows up makes it look like the text is the line above. It's kind of peculiar. Yeah. I think they need to, to, to refine that one a bit. They're trying to get it out of the way of your finger so you yeah. can actually see it. Which is That's good. the whole point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's a, it's a nice idea. I'm happy that they brought it back. I think they realized that precision tapping with your finger to exactly what letter you want to put the cursor at is not a thing Doesn't that you work. can do. No. An unreleased world timer watch face was shown in an Apple Watch session. So there's a screenshot of it on Mac Rumors. I love it. Uh, it actually looks very much like a watch that I own, like a world timer watch that I own. So mm-hmm. I bring this up because we were talking about the fact that there weren't any watch faces. Well, this is the thing. Maybe there will be, but they're going to be in the new watches, not in watchOS. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Or they're going to at least announce them with the uh, with the new Apple Watches. I Occasionally what they'll do is they'll announce a, a thing and it's there's this feature that's part of the new hardware. Mm-hmm. And then you discover, oh, everybody gets that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they just wanted to make a big splash with it. So it's not necessarily the case that these watch faces will only be available on whatever new Apple Watch comes out. It may be, but it may not be. But they're, they're definitely, they seem to be holding stuff back. Watch faces don't really need to be beta tested, right? They're Apple's thing. Yeah. They don't not, unless they do them. third-party watch faces. Yeah, which they're not. <laughs> And the Dark Sky API will be giving uh, living on for another year. Uh-huh. So they've extended the end of life of that, which is fantastic. It could mean a couple of things. It could mean nothing. Yeah. It could mean that hopefully that WeatherKit API is still in the works. And also right. could just mean uh, they wanted more time to get the weather app for the iPad done. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Oh, boy. So, yes, th- this is exactly it, which is I'm not saying that Apple is doing, like, WeatherKit as a thing for third-party apps in order to... The idea here is that if you, Apple Apple could just do its own weather app or Apple could say, we're going to give... We're going to do a safe weather API that's got all this information. And if other apps want to adopt it, they can and, and show it in all sorts of different ways. But it's going to be from our providers and we're going to know the location and you know we're not going to let you use location checking to do creepy things, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they were to do something like that, this is what they would do. It doesn't mean they're going to do it, but if they were to do it, this is what they would do, extend it for this year. Because what they don't want to do is do a kind of yoink to the Dark Sky API and kill a bunch of apps if it's going to provide a replacement. Because if it's then going to give a reason for those apps to exist in a year's time, right? That seems a bit mean. Why would you do that? But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do that. Although I would say this would be something um, that would be kind of in keeping with Apple's approach to this kind of stuff recently like the whole idea is it's on their platforms um they've got all this data i don't i mean the fact that the weather app doesn't exist on the ipad is (laughs) actually a pretty good reason why do you know what happens if you tap the weather widget on the ipad i don't know it goes to (laughs) weather.com 
<laughs> of course it, it does. It sounds like a joke, but that's what happens. So uh, anyway, that would be a way that you could have... Apple would basically say, if you want to build a weather app for uh, for our platforms, we can't wait to see what you'll do with it. Um, you can use this data. That's like, because again, it's limited to their platforms and uh, why not? I'm happy because I use Dark Sky in uh, Carrot Weather. So I'm pleased that I don't yeah. have to do the investigation into which service I want to use. You mean Apple Design Award winning Carrot Weather? Yeah, congratulations to, to that app, by the way. Brian Carrot, Carrot Weather by Brian Brian Carrot Mueller. Um, we said this before. I mean, it's a multi-award winning, upgrady award winning mm-hmm. app. Yeah, the real, the or that really matters. The real one. You know, we said it then and I say it. It's genuinely, I think, one of the very best iOS apps ever made, not just for certain things. It's not just the prettiest this year. I think it's just one of the best apps ever made. So I'm happy that Apple awarded it because mm-hmm. it was deserved. Yeah, it's great. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. If you have a website, what's it for? Whether it's driving people to your products, collecting sales leads for your company, or providing customer service of a contact form, if any of this stuff breaks, you could lose out on business, you could make customers unhappy. This could be a bad experience for your users or potential customers. But there's a solution to this. Transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it's going to alert you when cart checkout, forms, login pages, and so much more break before it affects your customers or your business. Pingdom can notify you the moment there's a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps, Slack, Ops Genie, PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can also customize who's alerted and how they get that notification. Really powerful stuff. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website before you do. You want to be the first to know. And it's so easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and you will get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to buy, use the code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM and the code UPGRADE at checkout. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. Which betas have you installed so far? All betas. All the great betas, including WatchOS? Oh, no. <laughs> All but one. <laughs> I'm not a maniac, Mike. Yeah, WatchOS no, that's... is not great, right? Like, typically. I don't know uh, what it's like this year, but in the past, WatchOS has been a bit so uh, tough. I I use my Apple Watch. Mm. I use it... All the time, I use it to run. I use apps on it to during my run. Like I don't, I just don't want to jeopardize that. But you and you don't have a second one like you do because I'm assuming yeah. you've installed the betas on secondary devices. Exactly. Right. I've got it on. I've got it on my review iMac. <laughs> uh, I've got it on an iPad Pro and I've got it on a an iPhone, but not my primaries. Although I will say that thus far. Um, the experience has been pretty good. Like I mentioned earlier, yeah, uh, it's been pretty good. I have these two iPad Pros, uh, side by side, and I have I have one on one and one on the other, and uh, I expected that I would be spending most of my time on the non-beta iPad Pro that I would get so frustrated with the beta iPad Pro that I would go to the non-beta iPad Pro, and that's far. 99% of the time I'm on the beta iPad Pro and it's been fine, but I've been ready to bug out at any moment and I haven't had to. So that's yep. encouraging. Yeah, I only have the iPad OS beta uh, on any of my devices right now because 
I'm not going to put it on my Macs because I use them all the time. And right. I only have one iPhone. Um, but I will say I have had a very similar experience to you. I put it on my larger iPad Pro and I was thinking, you know, I'm going to sacrifice it to this because it's going to be terrible. But not only has it been rock solid, I've had one crash and only one app that doesn't work. Not only all of that, the multitasking changes, I adore them. It's mm. so much better to use and it's yeah. so easy to get used to it. You know, I was talking with Gray about this. Cortex is coming out soon. But I did look at, just checked, like, this multitasking system is six years old now. Split screen, slide over. Wow. And it's not changed much, right? Like, it's the same things. You can put two apps side by side and you can slide in more from the side. Yep. But this is finally, I think, the first version that actually makes logical sense as to how you use it. Like, there is a logic to it right. that isn't, I'm dragging app icons around all the time. This, this is why I say that I feel like it's step one of a larger picture, is that yes. it feels, it it's feels a like they learned from the last few years yep. and are like, okay, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Whereas five years ago when they did this, it was like, can we, how do we get two apps on screen? Can yep. we do that? And like, we've come a long way since then. And this feels much more considered. And it's taken them this long to make it usable with keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, I know. I know. Because the Magic Keyboard is not the first iPad Pro keyboard, right? We had the Smart Keyboard before. What are the keyboard shortcuts to do multitasking? Do you know? Oh, boy. Okay, so... Because off- Apple said that there are, there are keyboard shortcuts, but I haven't found them. All right, so the way that you do it is it's under the Globe key. So that's what you're looking for. Ah. The Globe key is now a system modifier. So if you hold down the Globe key on the iPad keyboard, mm-hmm. you will see a secondary kind of menu bar menu. system, which shows mm-hmm. you these are the things that you can do. They're kind of like global shortcuts for the system. So, And you can do everything. You can bring up control center, notification center. You can uh, show and hide slide over there too. Um, you can. They've also created new versions of like the go home and stuff. So you can press command H or globe H to go home now. Ah. Uh-huh. And the way that you do the so the way that you do the, the the split screen with the keyboard is so you have two apps open. Say you want to swap the right hand application, right? I think it's off the top of my head. It's Globe Shift and the right arrow key, and <laughs> then it slides the app away. And then you can bring up one, or you can search. You can use Spotlight then, and whatever app you select Jeez. will just open on the one on the right. But also, you can now also just press Tab, and then it selects the uh, home screen. So you can use the arrow keys to select something on your home screen as well because they've added that home screen control with the keyboard. So they have finally made this available. And this is something that I've wanted since this became a thing in the first place. So you can now fully control what's happening with uh, the keyboard. And you can do stuff like... Uh, I think Globe F makes the makes an app full screen, all that kind of stuff. So there's like a whole new selection of keyboard shortcuts that live underneath that Globe key. Under the Globe. And the Globe is now on uh, Mac keyboards too. Yeah. So Apple seems to have decided, because it's basically the function key, yep. but they've decided to redefine it as this Globe key, and um, it's everywhere. So now, now you have yet another keyboard shortcut uh, kickoff key modifier Mm -hmm. which is the globe to go with command option and control now we also have globe it's a lot of keys 
Yeah, and there's still stuff to learn. There's still uh, things that I haven't gotten used to yet, but some of the, 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 the basic ones I have started to get used to. Like you can even cycle through your slide over windows and stuff like that. It really There's really a lot of power there. And if you use a hardware keyboard, an external keyboard, you can remap another key to be globe. So with mine, like when I've used, I used an external keyboard, I remap the caps lock key to be the globe key because Makes sense. I don't need the caps lock key ever. So you can, you know, so that's all nice and easy to do as well. This system has just, it's immediately made so much more sense for me. Like I really love it. And just little things like the fact that you can uh, create and split multitasking, like uh, apps in the multitasking view, you know, like little things like that, which I don't need it that often, but I want to do it every now and then. And I can do that now. Um, But then also moving on again, like talking about shortcuts, you can now control multitasking with shortcuts. So you can open apps in a pair, right? Which you couldn't do before. So they finally, for me, added all the features I wanted for iPad multitasking. It's only taken them five years to do it. Yeah. I love it. I really, really love it. And it... You know, and again, like, it is that, like, looking to the sky, I want to believe it does feel like a more logical, let's start again from here thing. Right. Yep. Yep, it does. I mean, that that little three-dot thing that you can grab and move mm-hmm. around. All right. Like, that's a window title bar, essentially, on the yep. Mac. It's the equivalent of that. You grab something and you drag it around. Okay. I know that everything is just tiled right now, but like that is a grabber to move a window around. Yeah. And uh, when you click on it, you get a few options. There is nothing stopping them from putting more options on that there. That grid could become six or nine, right? Like, and, no problem. And it's essentially a version of the uh, uh, red, yellow, green uh, traffic lights on yeah. the Mac. It's effectively the green button, right? Like it, it changes the size and shape of the window. Yeah. And it's well, I mean, and if you think about it on the Mac, what it's doing is it's saying full size, um, uh, hot, minimize or close, mm-hmm. right? And on on the iPad, what it's doing is different, but it's similar, right? It's similar. Also, by the way, SF symbols, the the, uh, the icons that Apple makes available to all you know anyone on its platforms to use for yeah. their interface design. SF symbols has a whole selection of windowing based shapes oh really saying i'm not saying that that is meaningful (laughs) but i am really suspicious because those three shapes are in there along with lots of others and uh, you know maybe they're just helping mac developers with uh windowing but let's uh, just say it jason let's just start the like mid-cycle ios 15 countdown like magic keyboard they're gonna add uh full screen support i i think if they wanted to do something with hardware like perhaps introduce an external display that it would be a good time for them to flip the switch on that mm-hmm. and that they could they don't necessarily have to wait for iPad OS 16 to do it. We'll see. Can you tell me about shortcuts for the Mac? Yeah, so shortcuts actually when we're talking about betas and how how we feel about them, shortcuts is not uh super stable right now. No, <laughs> on especially any on, on iPad it's uh it's, yeah. it's, it's that, But look, it is yeah. because they have redesigned it. Like we uh, you know, we haven't really focused a bunch on that cuz it's got so much other stuff going on, but it is brand new effectively. So it feels they like have, a ground up redesign. Yeah. yeah, they really have rewritten the interface and uh they've made it even more compact. They've added a lot of nice stuff to it. 
Um, it, it in general, I think that there's some good additions to shortcuts, including the fact that they built in. They looked at all the things that the automator could do, which, quite honestly, there aren't that many things that automator could do. But uh, it looked at them, and it basically they built those in as well uh, across all the platforms where applicable. So that's great. I have a, I have an automator action that does the um, incomparable uh, voice announcer at the beginning of every episode of of my podcast, The Incomparable. There's a robot voice. It's Plain Talk uh, Fred who says the name, the number of the, the episode. The incomparable. That's my Yeah, episode that's my... 203, July 2019, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can't do it on iOS. Can't do it. Guess what? You can do it now. You can do that huh. on, on, on iOS. On iOS, you don't. Because, you do... oh. because you can do a speak, you can do a, you know, generate text with a voice and yeah. then follow it with a save file. It, it's, there's a bug. Uh, Plain Talk Fred gets overmodulated and sounds terrible, and I already fire, filed a feedback about that. <laughs> other the voices, only person. <laughs> yeah. Other, vo- other voices work fine, though. Of course other they wor- do. voices work fine. Because that one's like a million years old. At it's this a million point. years old. Yeah, but it's the best. That's why it's the best. <laughs> hey, who, have the other voices been in uh, Radiohead's uh, legendary album, OK Computer? I don't think so. So, um, that. Like they've done all of that stuff to add these capabilities that that the iPad and iPhone couldn't do before. But then on the Mac side, like it's all it's not all there yet, but it's all coming together to have the ability. It, it it's literally everything that I wanted and more because they are completely embracing. Despite the narrative that everybody has, which is like, oh, just wait, Apple's going to lock everything down and they're going to control everything, and you're not going to be able to do anything on the Mac anymore. And Apple's insisted that that's not the case, and they have walked the walk. So can you do a Perl script? Can you do a Python script? Can you run a shell script from shortcuts on the Mac? Yes, you can. You can do all those things. Can you run an Apple script from shortcuts on the Mac? Absolutely, you can. It's all in there. Now, in the long run, I do think that there's a question, because this is the future of automation on the Mac, they said, right? Across all of Apple's platforms as shortcuts. I don't know what the future of scripting is on the Mac. Like there is a real question about like, does Apple script continue or is there something that is a substitute for Apple script? Because mm. Apple script has some detailed levels of control that you could probably do with shortcuts and tents, but would require a lot of complexity. And I, I wonder well, about, yeah, I, I, but the, it's a multi-year thing. Exactly right. So in the meantime, though, like I first thing I did on the Mac with shortcuts was I built a shortcut that runs a what is it? It's a, it's an Apple script that runs a shortcut that runs a Perl script. And you're saying to yourself, why? why well, what? the answer is to to <laughs> test it out to te- to test it out, and uh-huh. I got it to work. I absolutely did. Well, because I was in BB Edit, and I'm like, how do I get this thing to just take the entire text of this document and run it through this Perl script? And right now in BB Edit, you have to have an Apple script that tells the shortcut, like, here's the contents and hands it to it. You, otherwise, you have to select all the text and choose it from the services menu, which you can do without Apple script being involved. But the point is not that this is this ridiculous um, Rube Goldberg kind of device. The point is that you want to go from Apple script to shortcuts. Yep. You want to go to, from command line to shortcuts. Yep. You want to go from shortcuts to Apple script. Yep. Shortcuts to Perl. Yeah. Shortcuts to Python. Yeah. Like all of it. Uh, any con- combination of those things, shortcuts, 
even in developer beta one is already sitting in the mix there. And that's good because that means that people can start working with it. And then over the long run, it will become more and more prominent. And, you know, that's going to take the participation of Mac developers and the developers of other apps that are on the Mac. But again, the beauty of Apple's whole kind of strategy here is if you've got uh, an iPad or iPhone app that does some very clever things, you can bring that over to the Mac and all your shortcut stuff comes with it. And now you're on all of Apple's platforms. And if I'm a a Mac user who wants to use this piece from a traditional Mac app, but also this piece from an iPad app, now I can do it because I can write a shortcut that connects them all. And if the Mac app only supports AppleScript, guess what? I can still do it because I can use AppleScript for that and I can use shortcuts for this and I can put it all together and it will actually work. So yeah, it's um, it's exciting. Also, I'll just mention, because I know user automation isn't for everybody, that let's let's not forget <laughs> shortcuts is the best tool ever on the Mac in making user automation understandable for regular users. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's easy. It is a complicated app. But I am saying I think it's the best one I've ever seen. And it kind of fulfills the promise of Automator, which you know was 15 years ago, to allow you to kind of use some building blocks to do to let your device do something that you wanted to do that it wasn't written to explicitly to do i've been able to do way more with shortcuts than i ever was able to do with automator like i don't know what it was but there just it comes to a point of automator and i just don't understand what's going on anymore but shortcuts isn't like that i have some pretty complicated for my you know for for, for me anyway shortcuts that do lots of really cool things because it's easy for me to understand yeah i just did a thing the other day um because i realized that we were out for a walk and I was curious about what the temperature was. And I'm like, well, I only have my Apple Watch. I can't look at my webpage of my weather station or my widget for my weather station. I only have my Apple Watch. And I thought, oh, I should do a shortcut for this. Like I went home and I was like, boop, 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 boop. And now I have a shortcut that I can actually ask my Apple Watch via Siri hmm. uh, what the temperature is right now at my house. And it will tell me the temperature and whether it's getting warmer or colder and what the high is. And it's just all, it's a pretty straightforward shortcut. Oh, I should mention one of the things they did, and I haven't been able to 100% get this to work yet, but I think that it's going to work as the betas progress, is the idea that you won't necessarily need to have one shortcut for Mac and one shortcut for iPad that do the same thing. And there are workarounds where you could write like a subroutine as a separate shortcut and two set, you know, your Mac shortcut and your iPad shortcut could both call it, you know, run that shortcut. You shouldn't have to do any of that because there's a, uh, there's a thing in shortcuts that is a device name. So you can basically say, if this is a Mac, do this. If it's an iPad, do this. Oh, nice. And that means that you can have one shortcut that you run and all these shortcuts sync across all the devices. I was able to take my shortcut for posting things to six colors that I wrote for the iPad and run it in BB edit on a Mac on day one without a single change, right? Like it, I just checked the box for make this a service on the Mac. And then I mm-hmm. selected my text and chose my shortcut from the services menu. Very nice. And it ran and it did it like untouched so building shortcuts they sync across iCloud you can run them everywhere and 
although I'm excited about the idea that they like brought automator compatibility and all of that, the truth is most of my automations on the Mac have shortcuts equivalents already. So once those are on the Mac, I'll just use those. I'll just use the shortcuts I built on iOS. They were easier to build and I think they're more robust. So, so yeah, I'm very excited. It's a, uh, it's great. You know, automation on the Mac very rarely gets any time in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, shortcuts has gotten some, some time in the sun the last few years for automation on iOS, but very rarely does Mac automation really not since, uh, Sal Segovian came on stage, introduced by Steve Jobs, to launch Automator. That was sort of the last time that Mac automation really got a lot of time in the sun. So it's good to see. It's a good time. Pixelmator Pro is going to be getting shortcut support. The Pixelmator team announced it today. Just saying it's going to be first class, second to none support. And they included a screenshot, which is uh, get images, resize to this size using ML Super Resolution. Like and save and save, yep. but like that that amount of power because ML Super Resolution is the it's an incredible feature of Pixelmator Pro using machine learning to upscale low resolution images, and some of the results can be quite astounding. To be able to have that power just into shortcuts, like to take like twenty images and just batch process them like that, oh boy. Uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to say that stuff I haven't really got to try out yet that I'm intrigued about. And I wonder if you've had any time with them. Uh, one is all the SharePlay stuff. Yeah, I haven't used SharePlay yet. No. I I anticipate that in the next few weeks, a bunch of us are going to be we're all going to be doing watching movies and w- making calls, watching yeah. watching movies and making calls with each other. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about what the other applications of this are too, and what level of control is afforded. I haven't watched any SharePlay sessions yet, but like, what level is afforded to developers? Well, one of the things that that kept going around last week because it was in one of the sessions is using the APIs and stuff from SharePlay to build like collaborative whiteboard applications. Like it's, right. It's not all about let's watch a video together. There's there is more stuff that you can do with it. Right. It's a it's a whole shared experience layer there. Yeah. I don't know how much that'll get used and all that, but like depending on the right app and the right developer and the right, you know, set of users, it could get really interesting where Apple is not just about SharePlay. SharePlay isn't just watching Ted Lasso together, right? SharePlay is potentially if you and your colleagues have an iOS app, you can collaborate inside it just using this. Like, that's yep. it. Like, it's your collaboration tool. Someone could maybe use this to build something like Google Docs. I don't yeah, know. Possibly. Right. I, I know that, you know, I'm sure our friend James Thompson will uh, consider. Collaborative And, and I'm serious about this. Well, collaborative calculating, right? Like, everybody gets to enter in a number. We'll see where this goes, right? Oh, no, he pressed plus. What happens next? So, but I was I was thinking about Dice by PCalc. And yeah, the fact that, I, I was Like, if you're playing... If you're playing a Dungeons and Dragons game or something like or anything that involves dice, imagine a shared dice tray where everybody rolls mm-hmm. and it goes in the same and everybody can see the same dice tray Super and all that. Cool. I don't know whether that's practical or not, whether it's possible with these APIs or not, but like that's really interesting. The idea that it's not just I'm going to watch a movie with you, but that I could use sort of any number of app with people that I know. That's uh, I, I like it. It's a fun idea. A lot of potential there. Also, quick note is one that uh, I haven't really got my head around yet. I feel like I need a lot more time with this. Like one of the things that I was quite surprised about with QuickNote is the notes are saved in a separate folder in the Notes app called QuickNote. 
which is not really what I want to do. You can move them, you know, so once you've started mm-hmm. your quick note, you can then move it and make it like a, a real note. Uh, but there, I was playing around with it and was quite, I thought something was quite cool that like if you're on a web page, you get a button that you can press to add a link. And yeah. you can just fly around web page to web page to web page and just keep adding links. That's kind of stuff cool, but I still need to get my head around it. It's like a reverse of the share button, right? Yeah. It's like pre-shared. It's, yeah. it's, it's just everywhere you go, it's going to say, do you want to take this from what you're doing? Which I like that as an idea. I think it's interesting on, on the Mac, you can have all sorts of assistive apps that do that. Mm-hmm. On iOS, obviously, you can't. Uh, and so platform owner doing something like this, it's like, it's good because who else is going to do it? Um, I haven't used this yet. Um, I don't know if it's in the iPad beta, but if it is, it seems like it's only like, you can only bring it up with a pencil, which is like- Or Globe Q. Or Globe Q. Okay, great. <laughs> my point there is that sometimes I'm, a lot of times I do a lot of reading in bed in the morning with my tea and my breakfast, and I'm sitting there reading a lot of stuff. And- I would love to sort of swipe from somewhere and get a quick note and add a note in about something. And at least for now, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. So yes, Globe Q. Okay. I could, maybe I'll do that, but uh, it's a, I want to see this more. It's an interesting idea. Also not to get back to my conspiracy theory, Mike, about, please um, do though, about windowing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know I said this last week too, but I'm just going to say it again. Look at that quick note window on iPad. Look at it. It, it is a floating mm-hmm. window. It is a window that floats mm-hmm. over other items. Like, what could it mean? M- windowing is here. It's already here, people. Follow the follow the money. It's already here. Uh, sorry, I lapsed into conspiracy theory there. But like, it's very hard not to look at Quick Note and say, well, clearly Apple's already building multi-window things on iPad because. Because guess what? Sometimes having a window floating on top of other windows is useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe we should do that. Maybe we should have more of that. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at DoorDash. Did you forget that one thing at the store? Well, now you can get snacks, drinks, and household essentials in 30 minutes with DoorDash. You all know DoorDash. It's about connecting you with the restaurants that you love right now and right to your door. But you can also get those grocery essentials that you need too. Ordering is super easy, no matter what it is you want to order. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. DoorDash has partnered with over 300,000 restaurants in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, so you can support your neighborhood go-tos and your favorite national chains as well. Jason, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences with DoorDash? Well, my daughter, who just uh, got home mm-hmm. uh, from college, uh, last summer she drove for DoorDash, mm-hmm. which was really great. Um, but it, and that was sort of what opened the door, uh, Dash. door Dash for us. Uh, but there is, especially um, if you don't want to go out into the world, which sometimes you don't want to, sometimes you can't, sometimes you don't want to. You can uh, order food and it's brought to you. But like I said, uh, and I'm going to just repeat it again: don't order hungry. Order it in advance. Order it, uh, agree on what your dinner plan is going to be with the people you live uh, with and do it early and then just set it to come at the time that you want it to come. And it's magical and you don't have to wait. And you're not ordering hungry where you're like, oh, why do we order all these spring rolls? And you're like, oh, well, it's because I was really hungry when I ordered. And the regrets. So don't do that. Instead, uh, imagine a service where you could just, the food shows up at your door at the moment that you asked for it. 
Uh, it just takes a little planning, and DoorDash will help you do it. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the U.S., and upgrade AUS if you're in Australia. That's 25% off up to $10 value and zero, and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the App Store, enter the code UPGRADE2021 for the U.S. and upgrade AUS if you're in Australia. That's UPGRADE2021 for the U.S., upgrade AUS for Australia for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about Safari. Mm, do we have to? Yeah. I want to talk yeah, about Safari. We do. Feels like this is the most uh, controversial thing that announced at WWDC. And I guess, and I think it's maybe been exacerbated potentially by people when they started using it. How much have you used Safari and on which platforms? I have used Safari a lot on the iPad a little bit on the iPhone and a little bit more than that on the Mac, mostly on the iPad. Okay. How do you feel about the Safari design? I feel like Apple, this is the one area where Apple probably overextended itself. I'm going to predict that I think that this is an area where what they ship in the fall is not going to be what we saw in the videos last week and that they're going to get a lot of feedback that's going to make them have to adjust what they're doing. Which wouldn't be the first time for Safari, right? They've had this exact thing before with tabs. <laughs> exactly. And I think, and not the first time in a beta cycle that there hasn't yeah. been something, you know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have that where everybody says, oh, well, this will obviously change and it doesn't. But this feels to me like, like Apple is going to, has already gotten really an earful about this. Um, personally, I, I, you know, I think Accidental Tech Podcast talked about this for approximately four hours in their last episode. So I would commend that to everybody. But I agree with a lot of what they said. Like, I'm resistant to ripping on something that is trying to do something different as a knee-jerk reaction because everything that's different, you're going to have resistance to because you're used to it the way it was. But I am still kind of mystified by some of the prioritization that Apple has made with Safari. Um, collapsing. Yeah, maybe I don't use tool or toolbars, uh, tabs like everybody else. Maybe I don't. But like for me, my usual tab state is a few tabs. And I navigate them by being able to read what they are. And Safari, the new Safari seems to want to insert everyone in a state where you have perpetually too many tabs open, even if you only have a few. And therefore, you can't see what the page is that you have open until you click on it or tap on it, other than by, by identifying it by like the fav icon and the first few letters of the yeah. first word of the page. And I think this is the fundamental failure of that Safari design is I, I can't tell what tabs are open by looking anymore because 
even on my iPad, and I have a 12.9-inch iPad, and I don't have that many tabs open, but because it has to fit all the other user interface elements in there, including the big uh, URL slash search bar, like, I, I can't tell what the other tabs are anymore, especially if they're from the same website, then I really can't tell because the fav icon is the same. And I'm trying to decode things from the first few letters. So I think it's a mistake to cram it all together. And I don't understand. Like, I get what they're trying to do, which is the whole interface theme of iOS 15 is get things out of your way, get Chrome out of your way. There's a lot less Chrome everywhere. I think it's commendable to push that. But to cram everything into that single bar and they've been headed for this point right they did this in the finder a couple years ago where they they crammed everything uh into one row that used to be in multiple rows um but like legibility of tabs especially when you like i get that some people have a thousand tabs open and they can't read their tabs and 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 all that but like i've never been one of those people and even then even if you've got a thousand tabs open you need some way to navigate them where you can identify them on site Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't it doesn't provide that so the benefit you get with having your window be slightly less tall which i get they have widescreen displays on on their devices so tallness is the direction where you want to save space i get it that's why my doc's on the right, actually. Um, but I think this is misguided. And I think that either they need to rethink the metrics and they need to make those those tabs wider and see if that works because they're way too narrow now. Or they need to perhaps give people the option of having it be on two lines instead of one. Uh, because uh, it, it just like, I, I don't know what to say. Safari... That one interface change has made using Safari on my iPad terrible because I relied on knowing where my tabs were and Mm. now I don't. And the the tab group feature is good. Like I like the idea of the tab group feature. I I don't, some people will use it more than other people, but the idea that you're sort of like creating these permanent iCloud synced tab groups that go from device to device. I like that as an idea. I think that that's got a lot of potential, but all you're doing is asking people to have more sets of tabs that they need to identify. And then when you switch to them, you can't identify them. It's just, and then, I mean, (laughs) don't get me started about the iPhone because I actually, (laughs) I like the idea that they brought a lot of the, the, like the, the, um, the, bar down to the bottom and essentially it is the the uh, url bar but it's also the tab bar and you can swipe around like you're doing multitasking i think that's really good i think it's a good idea but the way they implemented it is so strange it requires web developers to change their sites because the url bar floats over content on web pages and covers it so you can't see it so you have to change your css for apple (laughs) because Apple's decided to do this thing in order to change where you draw content on your pages, which also lots of sites won't do that and it'll just be frustrating for iPhone users. But the part that gets me is I get that you want on big phones, you want to be able to put the content in a in an area that is reachable. I think that's commendable. And I think switching between tabs on the iPhone, on the iPhone specifically was not great. And now you can swipe. I think that's awesome. However, then you tap on the address field and the keyboard slides up and the thing you tapped just moved it's 
it's not under your finger anymore. And you're like, whoa, where did it go? And yeah, it's just up a little bit higher and then you can reorient and you can find it again. But like, I don't like that interaction at all. Right. I, I, playing hide and seek with a with text entry and with the thing that you're focused on is like, I again, I get why there's stuff down there, but I feel like the probably the solution here was to put the URL bar up at the top and have a tab with the title and the fav icon down at the bottom and do it that way. But that's not what they did. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that this whole design on all these platforms got a lot of thought from a lot of smart people. The Safari sessions at WWDC are really good. I, I wonder if maybe their web design people don't like it, but that's what we're doing. So they're going to talk about it. They seem super smart and, and, and really good at what they do. But this design I know it must have been well thought out, but it doesn't feel well thought out. It feels like a big mistake. I have only tried it out on my iPad. And my main issue with the design is not the tab stuff as such. I think I could get used to that. Um, I don't like how many controls have been hidden behind that little three-dot button. You know, like to share right. something, you now have to tap that and then press the share button. Then you're given the share sheet. I think yeah. that's that's a little too many taps just to send a link to somebody. What I will say is, obviously, these a lot of these changes have been done to uh, bring tab groups. I really like tab groups as an idea. And yep. it works for me with the way that I browse the web because I have uh, on all my devices like seven pinned tabs. And then for when I'm recording shows or they're like thing you know like general admin stuff or whatever for yeah. my various things and just putting them all in one tab group that's really great and then i can just you know when i when i'm recording when i would was eventually be on safari on my mac i would just move to my like recording tab group and it's there with google docs open and everything and fantastic and i, I really like that and i love that it syncs that's so great that it syncs. and if you do your research in a tab group you yep. can also drag the tab group out and all the links come all of that's fantastic. I love it. Right? I love the idea of tab yeah. groups. I think it's really smart. I just, you know, like, hopefully they can tidy some of the UI yeah. stuff up and leave well, this, this feature intact. I think this is the challenge, is that Apple has decided that what people want is browser Chrome to be gone as much as possible. And I, again, I applaud the idea of getting the, the, the Chrome out of your way because, and letting the content shine because you're there for the content. The problem is I'm there for all the content and I don't, I'm not a single page browser. And I mean, the whole point of having the tab system is that tabs are important and people use tabs, right? Like the whole thing with tab groups is tabs are important. And yet, because they also have this imperative to get the Chrome out of the way, they've created a great new tab system and made tabs less legible in some cases, a lot less legible. I think they could tweak it. Um, and, and to your point, sharing too, there is a bunch of stuff under that menu that didn't used to be, you know, or was, you know, it was a tap away and it's still a tap away, but you're right. There's like another level beyond that. Yeah. That is, is unfortunate. Um, I just, I, these two competing things, it just frustrates me. It's like, 
I get it, but you went too far. Yeah. And yeah. your 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 design imperative here is actually undercutting your feature imperative, which is that people love tabs. Like people love tabs, so we've given them all these features about tabs that they can't see because the tabs are too small and they're illegible. I had an issue where I had like eight tabs open or whatever on my iPad, and I couldn't open the tabs with the trackpad because it would keep closing them. So when I would go up to with the, with the cursor to the tab, the tabs were so small that all it would do was select the X, <laughs> yeah. which was interesting. It's not great. And, and again, it's a, it's a beta, uh, but yeah. I think that there are larger fundamental conceptual issues here that they have to address. And that's why I say I feel like there will be changes. I don't know if the changes will satisfy anybody. But I feel like there will probably be changes in the beta. It needs to be better. It needs to be more flexible. It needs to meet the needs of the users of the features. And right now, like, again, like the colored background thing, I actually think is really cool. The idea that we're going to take the Chrome and we're going to kind of hide it away and make it part of the web page as much as we can. It's like, it's a decent idea. I think that's admirable. Yeah. I think that that's a perfectly nice thing to do. I don't I don't have a problem with most of what's in here, but I don't understand their imperative to smash every little bit of interface they've got to get like on my iPad I have a twelve point nine inch screen. On my iMac I have a twenty seven inch screen. I don't want to save those pixels. I don't want to save those pixels. I want to use them to see my tabs, right? And the current Safari design basically says, we don't care what you want and we don't care what size your screen is. The important thing is not tab legibility or the availability of toolbar buttons or anything else. The point is to hide it all in as small a space as we can. Mm -hmm. And that's stupid. And that, that, that's, it's stupid. It's a, bad, it's a bad call. And whoever made that decision at Apple um, needs to be pushed back on by everybody else at Apple who has a say in this because uh, they screwed it up. It's a it's a misfire. It's a it's an own goal. Let's let's uh, it's Euro twenty twenty. Uh, it's an own it's an own goal. Um, it doesn't have to be this way. Like I I I think the imperative here and the idea here is good, but not giving users choice and making the decision that that access to the share button and access to the first word or two of a tab is less important than uh, an extra line on the web page. It's just a misfire. So I hope they change it. Um, so what I'm saying is I like a lot of what they did with Safari. And then there's a very small part of it that I think is a complete disaster. So I hope they fix it. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by ExpressVPN. There are tons of VPN providers out there, but there's a reason why I use ExpressVPN. There's a reason why they're a sponsor on the show. They're really good. ExpressVPN doesn't log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs can make money by selling your data to advertisers. ExpressVPN doesn't. They developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing data. Instead of using hard drives, they store it on RAM so the data is wiped out whenever the servers are powered down. I think this is fantastic. I want If I'm going to use a service like this, I want to be able to trust it. And when I was reading about this, it's like, yeah, I can trust that. I understand how that works. ExpressVPN is fast because it uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol that they've engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. 
If you've tried other VPNs, you'll know that sometimes they can slow your connection. But with ExpressVPN, it's always blazing fast and lets you stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. I've always found ExpressVPN to be super quick and I've watched a ton of video with it in the past. But this lightweight stuff is something new that they've added and it's even faster than before. And it's so easy to use. There's no technical skills needed. You just fire up the app, you tap with one button to connect, your kids, grandparents, tech savvy or not, anyone can use it. CNET, The Verge, and many other tech websites have rated ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So you should try it out for yourself so you can understand. Go protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Go to expressvpn.com upgrade and you'll get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com upgrade. One last time, expressvpn.com upgrade to learn more. Just sits in your menu bar, it's an app on your iPad, your iPhone. Tap with one button, you're connected really easy. A thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and Relay FM. Hashtag Ask Upgrade time. <laughs> Detroit wants to know Do you imagine that universal control could change how you use your devices at your desk and maybe which devices you have on your desk? Hmm. Now, you, I, I don't know for me because I have a giant iPad or iMac screen in front of me. Yeah. And so I'm not, and I don't usually have another device next to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible. And certainly when I travel, it's it it's very possible. Yeah. But I keep thinking about you and how uh-huh. this might be a feature that you would use a lot. Is that true? I think so. I think so. So I typically have an iPad around, you know, like recently, especially th- this past week, I've had my iPad open just kind of like on the desk next to me and I'm just like moving over and trying out different things. I would like to be able to just use the one mouse and keyboard to move over to it. I could also imagine a world in which I buy one of these many mounting things and mount an iPad to my desk, right? Like have an arm for my iPad to attach to. I have that 12 South thing, which you can attach with an arm and I'd probably yep. do that. Same. Because then it's just there. There are some things that I like to do with iOS and iPadOS. So there are some apps, experiences that I find nicer. Um, and so I think I could very much imagine using this feature quite naturally, honestly. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really keen to try it out. Like I've been living this uh, a second monitor lifestyle for a while. So I'm, I'm recording you view now, and I have been for the last few weeks on the 21-inch iMac that Apple sent over. Mm-hmm. And I have the Dell monitor that I was using with my Mac Mini uh, on to the side of it. And I have it in portrait mode and that's where all my recording apps go. So they're just off the screen. And so I've been using two monitors recently anyway. I could very much imagine having an iPad on the other side of it and get real command center kind of feel going on. I'll be into that. Random one asks, what type of Apple events are your favorite? Stuff like WWDC, iPhone events, surprise hardware events. What is the one that you maybe look forward to the most? I oh, this is a this is a great question, and I don't know the answer to it. I know my answer. If you'd like okay, me to give my answer, it's WWDC. It's when the most can happen, like mm-hmm. I, I re- and also when the most surprise can happen. You know, the the iPhone event's great, but I'm typically we know a lot of stuff going into it. And like this WWDC was a perfect example for me. We didn't know anything. I was super excited. And then my excitement was born out. Like they throw all these things at you and there's so much stuff and there's always new things. And it's it's typically the event that I leave the most excited from where the other events, I feel like maybe I have a better idea going into it. I think... I mean, I agree with you. Everything you said 
I, I agree. Um, and I'll throw in just from a personal, since this is about personal favorites, um, WWDC represents, uh, when it's in person, seeing people that I don't see. I, I see some of the usual suspects at other events, but it's the people who get invited to come. Uh, whereas at WWDC, it's everybody comes, right? And and it's a great time socially. Um, that said, it's also when it's in person, it's a grind. I have to stay in a hotel and I, I am trying to do my job and see people and it's a lot. Um, and it's not like it isn't a grind uh, remotely, but remotely I'm entirely focused on my job. <laughs> and believe it or not, having fun with friends at WWDC is counterbalanced by me feeling like I'm not every moment I'm having fun, I'm not doing my job. And it's a difficult thing to navigate mentally. So I'm going to say I like a I like a new Mac event. Ooh, yeah, okay. I like a new Mac event. They're they're more surprising, right? Um, because the iPhone event is like at a time. I was and I almost said a new like iPad event, but really it's like I, I like a new Mac event. I think the best because they are usually a surprise. Um, or at least sort of surprising. They're not on a, on a schedule and there's hardware. I'm often under embargo for that event, which means I'm getting the hardware not after, not before it's announced, but before, sometimes it's before it's announced, but uh, oftentimes it's before it's available to the general public. Typically you will get not, not with an event, but you might get hardware before it's announced and then there's a press release, right? That's, that's true. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, that 16 inch MacBook pro, we got briefed before they announced it and we did that interview before they announced it. So was that an event? I don't know, but I love that. But even if it's something where they announce it all, like a, like at Brooklyn, when they did the new, the new MacBook air along with the iPad pro and the other stuff, that Brooklyn event, like there was the new Mac mini and the new MacBook air. And I love that because not only was that a fun event and it puts the Mac in the spotlight, but I end up with the hardware and I get to do a Mac hardware review and I love a Mac hardware review. It's a lot of fun. So I would probably put that at the top. Those, those, those reviews, the iPad and Mac reviews, especially iPad pro and Mac reviews are my favorites. Um, And I guess the other thing about WWDC is that it leads to a, it has a weird output where it's sort of like we talk about it for a while, but like it doesn't really come due. I mean, there's the public beta releases. I'll probably write a bunch of stuff, but like after WWDC, there's this kind of like general busyness, but not super busy where you know that, that you have to cover this stuff. Federico deals with this with his iOS review, right? Which is the work begins, Mm -hmm. but it's not a frantic dash to a week out or a day out or, or two weeks out. Instead it's the work begins and it leads to something three months later. Yeah. So that, that is actually, I would say a sort of case against WWDC is it's just sort of like, Oh geez, the work begins. Right. And it's a little less and it's more of a, a slog. So as much as I like about WWDC, that's my answer. I think in the end is a Mac, a Mac hardware event is a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll have one of those pretty soon. I hope so. Rosemary asks, if you could choose any color for the MacBook Pro refresh, what would it be? Not one of the iMac colors. I have two. Okay. And they're both based on the idea of Pro, right? Like I'm being realistic here to what I think I could expect. One would be 
I want a matching MacBook Pro to my gold iPhone. Okay. I want stainless steel gold rails around the outside, like blinging <sighs> off the side. I just, I, why not? I love the look of this iPhone. Give me that in a MacBook Pro. Or, more realistically, a nice dark blue. Something akin to that Pacific blue, I think would look really nice on a laptop. Dark blue laptop has been my dream for a while now. So I would love a dark blue. I'm I'm going with you. Dark blue on a MacBook Pro would be really nice. If we can't pick iMac colors. And Dinesh asks, I think maybe we'll just answer this once. <laughs> so everybody that wants to ask this question, here's your answer. All right. Dinesh asks, should I sell my 2017 MacBook Pro and get the latest Mac- M1 MacBook Pro or should I wait for the M1X? Mike, what do you think? Diamond hands, that thing. Don't let go. Don't do it. Don't buy a MacBook Pro now. There's going to be one. If you have lived with a 2017 MacBook Pro for all this time, hold on to it. Don't let it go. We're months away at most, right? Yeah. Don't do it. You're not going to be happy with the low-end M1 13-inch MacBook Pro. I mean, it's nice, Mm -hmm. but, but... you Look, it's a great computer and I've loved using mine, but it didn't seem like one was around the corner when that came out. It is around the corner now. And it's not a MacBook Pro. I know it's called a MacBook Pro, but it's not the MacBook Pro. The no. MacBook Pro is still to come and will have more power. It's a MacBook Air that's slightly bigger with a touch bar. That's what it yeah. is. If if you've waited this long, wait a little longer. Diamond hands, like you said, Mike. Like I said. Diamond hands. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the Relay FM members Discord, which you can get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up now and you will get longer ad-free episodes every time we publish Upgrade. And that could be weekly. Sometimes there's extra ones and you even get longer versions Ooh. of those too. And thank you to all of you who continue to support the show. Thanks to ExpressVPN, DoorDash, Pingdom, and FitBod for their support of this week's episode. You can go to sixcolors.com where you can find loads of articles that have been written over the last week or so. So Um, many. By Jason and Dan Moran, and I saw that old tricky Stephen Hackett sneaking up in there, publishing a few stuff last week. Yeah, he was. Uh, You can also find Jason. He is at Jasonel, J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at I-Mike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.